0: you're listening to drifter sympathy on sbi audio this season is made possible through the generous support of patreon subscribers to become a patron visit drifter sympathy on facebook and hear more music at holysons.bandcamp.com You will make many mistakes But a lot of those things Will turn into the best parts of your life And some of them will just fade away Along with their meaning You can see your gurus Undergo great tragedy And fall by the wayside And you can wonder if you're one of them And you may never know what side of the tracks you're destined for. We're going back to the point where I finally find someone I can trust at school. The other kids call him Crazy Jeff. I just call him Jeff. I'm sifting through letter after letter and package after package that's arriving from Boston and I'm trying to figure out what's going on up there. I don't have my guru, I just have his tapes. I live with them like an interdimensional communication device. had been placed in my dorm room with this 'er ne'er-do-well. He was 10 years older than everybody else, and he was considered someone who would probably die soon. So I was grouped together with him as kind of the lepers of our little society. Right. This is a farm school in the mountains of North Carolina with only 700 people. A lot of kids like studying to become veterinarians with the farm animals and gardeners. And then these two miscreants that are just sort of hell-bent on drinking themselves into oblivion.: He'd had a long history of being arrested for various drug charges. He basically couldn't drive a car without getting a DUI. It just somehow it would just happen over and over again. Like How many times do you think this happened? Like three?: I think he hit like four. He would kind of waddle back into school with this guilty look, and uh, he'd go down to the area of, of town where they'd sell crack. It was called Eagle Street in Asheville. If he was drinking, he'd turn into an animal. He basically just became, like, a defensive fight-or-flight monster. You gotcha. Know? And so if a cop, you know, saw him, it was over already. I mean, he just looked... You know, his, his visage was ominous, and the, you would just kind of determine pretty quickly, this person needs to be locked away. He must have gotten his fourth DUI because... There's a new program in Asheville where if you can prove you're doing some schooling, they'll let you go to jail on the weekends. No way. Yeah. And then you get out for Monday through Friday. And what happened was my roommate had to start going to jail on the weekends, so I would borrow a car. (laughs) That is so fucking insane. It's stupid. And the reason why is because the entire county's criminals go into jail and fraternize all weekend, make plans on how to terrorize the community, and then they get let loose on Monday, boom, they take over the town. I would drop him off at jail and he would just meet the entire tapestry of criminals around town. There were guys in there that were really bizarre. I mean, I I could see them from the fence. There was one guy who had fallen into a vat of diesel fuel, and he looked like the guy from The Hills Have Eyes. He had no hair on his body, and, like, I'm still a little confused (laughs) about how diesel fuel deforms you, but it looked like it had kind of melted him. He fell in with this older drug dealer named Dwayne who would leave me humorous phone messages. The reason why this part of my life has so much uh, charm to it is because that these characters all coming together, whether it was Duncan or these drug dealers or, you know, these criminals or Crazy Jeff. There was just an intersection in the Blue Ridge Parkway up in the mountains of North Carolina that seemed pretty improbable. Or maybe you're just young, so you you inject a lot of magic into everything, and maybe everybody was just a fucking raving idiot. <laughs> Jeff's going to jail on the weekends. I'd pull up and pick him up, take him back to school. And I guess we started hanging out with Dwayne, this this older drug dealer that I found out later kind of lived in his mom's basement, which was a trip going over to like an old black lady's house and sitting down and having tea with her son and, and my roommate who were jail buddies. And uh, one of the great memories I have... Thanksgiving was coming up and Dwayne took us over to like a traditional turkey meal at his friend's house. If we went off campus, I'd always have to borrow this... completely malfunctioning old boat of a cadillac from this anarchist kid who was like would lend it out to people as a as an aspect of his anarchism I suppose so you'd kind of take it take advantage of that and just be like can I take the car out today and it was so dilapidated that like green smoke would kind of come out of the fucking heating vents and he had duct taped them shut You'd hear the fucking rims, like, falling off the side of the car and wheeling down the the road and shit. My distinct memory of Thanksgiving with Dwayne and and Crazy Jeff is that we went up into the mountains, literally to the places where, like, maybe song catchers would go. When the first uh, mobile recording units were invented, they would go way high in the mountains to find old families that might know the old songs. Which for like Lomax fans and that type of musicologist Is like this really fascinating period Where you were trying to find I guess probably the British songs that had floated over And the words had been changed maybe During like the Revolutionary War and shit And so these songs just got trapped up in the mountains And people would try to like lug equipment up there And record people so we go way up high into this kind of abandoned moonshine crevice of the mountains up in, in Asheville. And we come into this trailer in this kind of uh, clearing up in the mountains. And uh, we, we basically had Thanksgiving with this old trucker, Tommy, that had like an eye that had slid halfway down his face and a distended stomach. And like his trailer was designed by like an old grandma. It had all those odd little NASCAR shrines and, like, little redneck elves that are, like, drinking out of little moonshine jugs. He had, like, a, a some sort of partner in crime that was, like, this 20-year-old black kid that was riddled with, like, old bullet scars, and he cooked us up this massive turkey and brought out a bunch of crack. And we smoked crack. <laughs> Gonna turkey with these like Complete misfits And turned on his cable And of all things Somehow I got to a channel with Down by Law on which was like You know about as arty Of a thing that could possibly Be broadcast into this living room And they I think they made me change it pretty quick Do you still smoke crack for your regular regularly? I mean it's kind Of a morning time thing Yeah, yeah. It's something that I won't abuse, but it'll get me going. <laughs> also, it makes me type faster. <laughs> in my mind, I was trying to move past that hellhole that I was in with drugs and stuff. I was I was trying to move past that clean up, but maybe as some people know in their life, it's like cleaning up is a massive long process. <laughs> it wasn't really cleaning up, essentially. essentially, essentially. So at this point, Jeff, Crazy Jeff, is still in prison on the weekends? <laughs> like you're still living with this guy? Yeah, yeah. Crazy Jeff is my planet, is my special world. My dorm room is is like, it's like a far, far away galaxy, you know? like. Well, you have to place yourself on the weekends, that's cool. Yeah, super cool. This just sounds so insane. Like, what was it like when you, like, would, like, meet girls, like, your age at school and be like, go to your living teacher? Oh, my place is cool. Like, my roommate has to like, be in prison on the weekends. It wouldn't be unlike some sort of cult situation, you know, with okay. candles burning. That room was like a portal to this other world. I'm not talking about just, like, these guys are already It wasn't like that. It was like, we didn't know why we were even alive. To give a little bit better background, like, I was so insanely depressed and so anxious coming to school with the staples in my head and and still having, like, all sorts of drugs on me and in me. There was a tree in front of my dorm room that I would climb just to get away from everybody. So if you saw me, I might just be glaring at you down from a tree. I might be on a rooftop or something. Like I probably was hiding from lunchtime or going to class or whatever. And I remember levels of alienation being so bad that at night, this is this is going to be hard to believe, but I remember hanging out with other people by sneaking up to their windows and just watching them. Because that's how distant I felt, like, from other human beings. I didn't really talk to them, so in order to sort of have some form of communion, I would hang out with them outside of their window. And if they were watching a movie, maybe I'd watch them watch a movie. I mean, it was kind of a supreme distance. I almost felt like I could be a vampire or something, because I wanted... I wanted life, but I didn't have it, you know? And I felt sort of on the other side of everything. Crazy Jeff was like a, was like, a... I didn't call him Crazy Jeff. Everybody else called him that. Okay. Did they call him that to his face or just... I think so. Yeah. He wouldn't give a shit. I yeah. I mean, this guy was out there. We were really pretty happy together. Like, in in a way, only two, like, sort of prisoners that fell in love could kind of exist. It was like comic relief too, you know, for sure. Like I said, I could th- he was small so I could like throw him in my closet and shit. <laughs> If you met me, you met my guru. Duncan really, he really apprehended the value system I was talking about. And he started to fall in love with the guru just through descriptions of this kind of wild person. There's like these kind of infamous stories now of how I played Duncan Daniel Johnston and he ran screaming. I played him like the early Dale Johnson, where he's in the mental institutions. Okay. And it scared the shit out of him, and I looked out my window as I saw him running back to his room because he was so frightened. So I think Duncan was sort of hearing maybe a potential fate of his own mentally, if if he kind of drifted away from the earth and, and lost his footing. But... In the description of my guru, I think he saw someone who had a lot of power and was harnessing this alternate set of values, the outsider values that that I was sort of espousing. Whereas someone like Daniel Johnson is obviously a little bit more of a casualty. Right. The more and more I talked about my guru, and the more Duncan talked about the Hare Krishnas, we sort of started building... Unbeknownst to ourselves, we started building a big massive synthesis of a philosophy I think we thought we disagreed on a lot of stuff But unconsciously we were hybridizing this whole new way of thinking for ourselves Out of books by Nietzsche and Hermann Hess and all of our conversations And taking the best parts of the Hare Krishna stuff that he was so enamored by At some point, I think Duncan puts forth that we should go meet the guru and we should go hang out. And I think I'm probably very, very hesitant about that because I'd already gone through so much trouble with him spinning the wheel in the six-lane intersection and almost dying and all that shit. I think that a line was kind of crossed in the sand when I went to college. I was like, the only thing that can come out of seeing this guru again is that We'd both be put in prison for a very long time. There's nothing good could come out of it. Right, right. At this point, there was a sense that the burner was hot and it didn't need to be touched anymore. Me and Duncan would take acid and, and call him up. And even the phone calls were so scary and strange. It's like the phone was entering a room in the Black Lodge... I was just like, this is not a good idea. Let's not go metal in his world. But Duncan was really excited about meeting someone like this. A true, pure character that embodied these philosophies we were talking about. And so I guess spring break came up, which was always a little weird because I didn't have a car and I didn't really know what to do with myself. My friend Kyle had moved to Boston and he must have been coming down and he offered us a free ride to Boston, which just seemed too easy to deny. And so the next thing I know, me and Duncan are in this car going up to Boston with some college kids. And we decide to take acid just in the car, which is like probably one of the dumber yeah things I've decided to do. Just before we left, we went to one of these, like, library sales. We'd both gotten into collecting obscure books. I had, like, a bit of a library of, of bizarre, like, you know, Rudolf Steiner and Gurdjieff and all this shit. We just would come out of these library sales, you know, when the library's just, I guess, uh, it's fucking liquidating everything. we just bags and bags of weird books, and... Somewhere in the stack, as a joke, Duncan had just picked up this one called The Satan Seller. I don't think he even read it. I think it was just... uh, It was one of those classic exploitation paperbacks where basically a christian claims to have fallen and gone down into the the depths of the satanic underworld and risen up as like a really rich heroin taking mafia king of the satanic underworld and then tells you of his downfall and gives you a moral of the story of why you shouldn't listen to whatever rock and roll and shit of course I think it's kind of an old cliche scam, especially when Christians wanted to infiltrate culture, they would, you know, as usual, make a hip hop song or do whatever they can do to get down inside the subcultures, you know? It was a big thing in skateboarding, actually. So this book, I think, was kind of known, even at that point, to be like a farce. It was kind of a fake tale of this guy rising up in power with Satan by his side and so Duncan thought it was funny and had like brought it in his backpack in the car ride to Boston, Boston,
1: Boston.
0: I can kind of remember their first meeting like I think we pulled up to Copley Square and we're in Kyle's like Saturn Do you remember those cars stylish I remember, like, saying we'd meet him there and kind of looking out the window with these kids. And there was just one person, like, on a park bench deep in the square, pigeons surrounding them, and, like, the birds, like an old, like, 70s Italian horror movie just all kind of flew away. And the paper came down, and it was the guru. And I remember Duncan and me kind of stumbling out of the car, and Duncan saying... Here, I brought you this gift, man. And laughing kind of uncomfortably and handing the guru the Satan Seller book. And I didn't even think about it. It just seemed like a really stupid gesture just that you could easily forget about. But as the week went on and I was spending time with the guru and Duncan and Kyle running around, my best friend is reading the Satan Seller at work. So, day in and day out, we don't know that he's actually reading the book and taking it very, very seriously. Looking back now, I can see that maybe he had a really bad childhood that was maybe marred with some terrible experiences in the Christian realm. I didn't know his early life well enough, but I could tell that his family and him had a lot of baggage when I was around them. I even went to a Christmas thing where like, his stepdad like, sang Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas... <laughs> I could tell they didn't want their son to come too close to them. Like, he'd caused a lot of problems in their in their life. Something in that Satan Cellar book was hooking him. Something about it was really fucking with his sense of the fact that he had driven away his girlfriend with heroin. And he was probably dealing with really intense levels of guilt. I think that the devil and Christ and all this stuff inside people who have grown up with Christianity, like the ends of the spectrum, still have a lot of power. The angel and the devil on their shoulder or whatever have a lot of sway. And I think maybe reading that book, like, woke up this part of himself that felt that inside him he had two versions of his destiny and he had been falling to evil. Evil. So we finally get to the last night of this spring break where me and the guru are going to have to say goodbye. And Kyle is up in this skyscraper at some, in somebody's loft, some student's loft that he knows. And we're up there looking down at Boston through these big glass windows, and the phone rings. And it's almost midnight, midnight. Is that the guru? The guru is on the line, and he's like, "Dude, it's your last night. You've got to come out to my place, and so we got to stay up. We got to take acid." And I'm like, it's "Like it's midnight. We got to drive to North Carolina in the morning. I mean, that's a long fucking drive, man." Yeah, yeah. Jesus, that's not fucking around. And so. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not really in control here. I don't really have a car. It, it, there's, We have no time left. And he's like, dude, do you know what I would do for you if I was in your position? I'd like quit my job to hang out with you. He like puts this intense guilt trip on me. He's like, you got to come over. We got to, we got to trip. We got to stay up all night. And I'm like... That just sounds absolutely terrible. (laughs) But it feels like I could never see him again. So I'm like, fuck it. Well I'm just like, Kyle, I can't use your car, you know I mean I can't get over there, and Kyle's like, you can take my car. And I'm like, fuck. I guess I'm coming over, man. just seems ridiculous but i get in the car it's probably 40 minutes or something we immediately take acid and it hasn't hit yet so we're driving along and my friend saturn just looking for a place to exist while we trip and talk and do whatever so i think he would brought like a frisbee and i got like a six pack of high life and we're kind of cruising out in the middle of nowhere we passed through a few different small towns out in the middle of Massachusetts which already feels a little bit haunted in general in the middle of the night we're basically just looking for a place to like relax and take a walk and shit and he's like oh I know this golf course this old golf course that I used to go to when I was younger we can just go out there and like smoke joints and shit Pull up into the golf course parking lot And the acid's starting to hit I think I grabbed some high lifes, And we set off down the green Down to go smoke joints on the golf course We didn't do a very good job of hiding ourselves We just kind of went down the green And just stopped at the bottom Where you could see the sky really well And I seem to remember having some pretty heavy conversations That I felt were like reaching towards the positive Like maybe I spent this time feeling like I could really reach him Like in this last moment of us being together And tell him that maybe life didn't have to be so dramatic And tempestuous and as terrible as he had made it Maybe the future didn't have to be so consistently fucked up like the past had been. And I seem to remember, like, looking up at the stars and and smoking the pot and feeling, like, a, a nice sense of calm with him that was very rare. I would always convince myself that he was somehow normalizing and becoming more... Dependable And less uh, Less crazy and, and less unpredictable But then I'd always be proven wrong Every single time We finish the joint And I start backing up And he throws the frisbee at me It's so dark And it's starting to get so cold There's no lights out on the golf course It's so dark that I can just barely see the Frisbee coming out of the dark right before it hits me in the head. And so I'm picking it up, and I'm throwing it at him really hard. It sort of turns into a thing where we're trying to, like, kind of hurt the other person. You can barely make the other person out. It's just like a shape that's moving a little bit. We start kind of trying to hit each other As a challenge or something And at some point I can hear him scream, scream. 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 I can kind of tell that I like nailed him I think it in the nuts I can kind of see him fall down And he's groaning a little bit And I'm running down to him And he's like I can't find my glasses. My glasses fell off. We got to find them. We got to find them. And so I I get down on my knees and I'm going through the grass. But the grass is really cold and wet and we're both getting colder and colder. And we are not finding these fucking glasses and he starts to get more and more and more panicked like um that feeling you get where you like you've made a couple different bad decisions, they snowball into this really like shitty situation where he's not going to be able to see, and he's going to step on him or something, and he keeps kind of getting up and going. I think they're right here, here,
1: here, here, here,
0: here. and like going down and, and searching around maniacally, and it's just time is going by, and I'm like, we are not finding a man. Should we come back when the sun comes up, or what should we do? I think I was starting to fucking freeze. Like, literally, I just couldn't be out there anymore. And remember, we're still tripping and shit. And so, right when it gets to the worst part, and he's kind of he's kind of muttering insults under his breath, and he's, like, really mad at me, he, like, stands up and he's like, Found him! Found him! Found him!
2: I got him! 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 I got, got
0: him! And in those moments, he would always just act like there was never any tension between us. Bam! It's all over. Very fast forgiver, even though he just like said he was going to kill you or something. So all of a sudden, everything's happy, and I think we're still pretty much peaking. Maybe we're, we've just come over the hump. We are smiling and we turn turn, 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 And we're sort of gonna slowly make our way towards the car Because I want to get back to the car, I'm fucking freezing I just want to start moving that way So I'm trying to draw him towards the car But as I looked towards the top of the golf course I see a light just go Over the golf course my brow just furrows I don't have any thoughts in my head I just have this feeling like I really wouldn't want to have to talk to anybody right now. right now So he looks over at me And sees me focusing towards the parking lot And he can see that I'm kind of concerned as it goes when you're tripping You start to focus on something And it really just draws you in And that reality just starts to Dominate everything all of a sudden You're just off on another plane I think under my breath I go Oh no He just looks at me as he always would And kind of send a wave of Contrariness at me like What? What? Nothing's gonna happen. Like what what are you so scared of? Scared of, scared, of, scared of. I'm kinda looking up there and I think maybe inside his stomach he's starting to see me get concerned. And I'm kind of always the calm one in a way. And then I see A light, a light, a light, a light, a light. A light, a light and a light. it's going back and forth. And I can see figures coming down at us. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I got to prepare to present myself to people. This is a clutch situation, and you kind of get sober really quick. Yeah. When he sees the figures coming down and the light going back and forth, and they're coming closer, then I can see... He starts to get pretty scared and the light comes up his body and just holds on his face and he looks terrified. He's like gaping and staring right into the flashlight, exactly like some weird Hardy boys cover. The fact that he is that scared makes me feel really uncomfortable. Clearly some form of cops have found us, and they're like, what are you guys doing out here at this time of night? And I think I try to take over, and I do pretty good. I'm like, we're friends, I'm visiting, this is our last night together, I got to go back to school in North Carolina, we're just hanging out. None of it seems to make any sense, you know, because it is the middle of the night on a golf course. And so they're like, hmm, okay, okay. They're trying to pretend like they're being fair. At some point, maybe I overhear that there's been a lot of vandalism out there, and they pretty much think that they finally maybe caught the two kids that have, have been causing Whatever vandalism is going on At the golf course So I try to out charm them I'm, I try to really mellow things out I'm like listen this is simple We're just out here throwing frisbee We're not doing anything wrong And so they get really stuck on that They're like Okay let's start over You tell me the whole story again But don't say you're throwing frisbee That doesn't make any sense you know, it's one of those situations with the cop. I'm like, well, but we are throwing frisbee. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to tell you the story. You see, it's in my hand here, and we're on a golf course. That's just what we're doing. I'm sorry if that seems stupid, you know. <laughs> and he's like, just tell me the same story. Leave out the frisbee part, because that doesn't make sense. It's pitch black. You can't see. And I'm like, listen, man, we're pretty good. We're pretty good at frisbee. We can do it. We're like... <laughs> I mean, this is a harmless situation, and I can see some people are on their walkie-talkies in the background, and I can kind of overhear them saying something about previous charges of my friend when he'd maybe been found with a syringe or something. So they had your IDs or something? They have our IDs, and I can tell that they're identifying my friend as someone who's been arrested for heroin-related charges and they corner him off to the side it's starting to get kind of heavy over there but i'm killing it over here i'm like kind of smiling they were like they were like you're okay man you're you're cool like we got to figure out some stuff with him but like you seem like you're you know able to follow basic rules and and at some point the mood just shifts and they're all laughing all of a sudden, just like when you're tripping, things just kind of flip. And they're like, you know what? I'll tell you what. Here's the frisbee. Why don't you guys show us uh, show us how you throw frisbee out here? And we're like, oh, okay. No problem. They, like, let my friend go. And I'm like, dude, we actually, like, we've been doing this for a long time. And I throw it. And it literally just goes... Off to the side, doesn't even go near my friend. <laughs> I don't know how or why. It was just one of those things. <laughs> just, I don't know if it was the pressure or right, I right. was just almost too relieved all of a sudden. I thought, oh, well, none of this matters anymore. Right. And it just goes rolling off down the hill and they go, okay, and cuff my fucking friend. They're like, you guys are obviously lying you know you can't you what the fuck are you doing out here and I think at the same time I'm assuming a message came through one of their walkie-talkies that he had a warrant as that's what I'm guessing but it appeared as though because I threw the frisbee so bad they cuffed him That's when I guess he started struggling They're kind of like, sir, just turn around around. Sir, just turn around And he won't follow their orders for some reason And I'm like, you motherfucker, just do what they say And he keeps trying to turn around And he's going, no, I didn't, why, why? Every time he turns and says why or please or something they just grip him tighter And force him down into the cold Wet mud And they're just putting his face in the ground They're just kind of like trying to Show him that he's not gonna Like win this one, this one, this one, this one. Eventually he just Kind of breaks and kind of starts Screaming for his mommy Something like These men are bad This is bad and he's having like a like a mental break like he's he's collapsing screaming for his mother and for me this is extra humiliating because i i know he doesn't want me to see him like this you know right. like i'd never seen him i guess that that sort of powerless and and defeated and so the fact that he's saying this is bad makes me feel terrible because it's like it seems like something worse is going on inside of him. Like he really thinks this is the end or something. And so they take him away and they just turn to me and say, You're fine. We're just going to take him to a holding cell. We're taking him off to jail. You know, we have no reason to mess with you. We'll see you later. Good night. Good night. So they leave. And I'm standing out on a golf course Tripping alone And the worst thing Is that I don't know Where I am Because we've driven for so long And through so many weird neighborhoods And towns This is way pre-GPS I mean that would have Eased my mind so much Just even having a phone actually. actually I just walk back to the car And I sit down in the car And I'm like See, I was right Like I don't need to be hanging out with this guy anymore I shouldn't have come up here Our relationship is essentially over right now This is the end of this chapter of my life And so I sit there in the car momentarily thinking Well, that's it That part of my life is over I'm a new me now So I start the car up and I just start driving. It's probably five in the morning, and I'm just all I can see is these autumnal tree leaves just fading past me, and I'm just cruising along. My foot's on the gas. It's almost like in a video game where you just the horizons are sort of morphing, but you're just cruising through infinity towards nothing. Okay.
2: Okay. okay
0: okay. Okay. It's occurring to me that I really have no idea where I am And I get that pang in your brain where you're like You kind of feel like you're going to suffocate or something You don't know what you can do to get out of the situation you're in I just drive until I finally see a highway Pull off on a highway Drive until I finally see a gas station Pull off into the gas station I've got about $25 and some change. I go to the phone booth outside of the gas station and I just start flipping through the phone book and I find a jail and I'm like, I have no idea what town I'm in. So I just call the jail and I'm like, hey, do you have my friend down there? They're like, nope, sorry. I'm like, well, what's the next town over? Like, what, who can I call? And they're like, you're on the border of this and this county. Try this town. So I think I, I try the next town. I feel like I drove to another gas station, went through the phone book, you know, didn't really want to go inside or talk to anybody, keep calling jails. And I think maybe the fourth jail I call, they're like, yep, we got him. I'm like, I have no idea how to find you. I don't know where I'm. And they're like, you're in Auburn, Massachusetts. I'm like, okay, uh, I guess I'll just, I'll get some directions and figure out how to get there. So I go in the gas station and like, I think I have like a twenty dollar bill and some some change left after I've used the phone over and over. So I buy like an orange juice and I'm looking in the mirror. You're trying to ascertain what you might look like to someone else and you just cannot find any edge of objectivity I mean you just look like a complete freak to yourself you don't identify with what you're seeing in the mirror and I think I'm just like well you know you've gotten this far you've gotten through so much bullshit so many ridiculous situations take a deep breath walk into the jail on acid So I walk up to the counter, and I'm just trying to do my best, like, keeping my face composed in a way that would betray the expression of someone who was there to bail their friend out. Sure. And the guy's like, yeah, um, yeah, we got your friend. Uh, you know that he's had, like, a mental breakdown. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm trying to just play into anything he says. I'm like, yeah, it's bad, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's, he's back there talking about, like, aliens and, like, how they, like, control us and how the cops are, like, you know, just an arm, a tendril of this artificial intelligence or something. And you're like yeah I'm like yeah I've heard it all before (laughs) You know And uh It seems like it takes forever But I'm pretty satisfied With my performance And the guy's like How much money do you have And I'm like dude I just got this $20 bill That's all I have in my life I have nothing And he's like okay we'll take it (laughs) He just straight up just takes my $20 bill. My friend starts waddling out of the cell, and his hair is all crazy like he's been passed out on the concrete floor, and he looks really out of it and very ashamed. And it takes a while, but once he gets out, the door of the jail shuts. I brace myself because I I just have the sense he's going to, like, beat me up. Because I've seen the most humiliating situation he's ever been in. And he's like moping. And he looks at me and he's like,
1: yeah! He's like
0: so, so happy. I think probably so happy that I actually came and got him. As an olive branch. I did not see that coming. As a spectator. I thought you were just like, this is a bad idea. I'm done with this dude. Like, I'm just... Well, he doesn't know that what I actually did before I went to get him was that I drove all the way back to his house. I think I did that because it was a point of familiarity. I must have made all those phone calls to the jails and then went back to his house. And I remember reclining in the seat and just trying to sleep because I thought, somehow maybe that would either be wise or maybe i would sober up or something but when i reclined back in that seat of my friend's saturn it, and i tried to close my eyes i remember thinking you have to make a decision you know that one time you said i've never really tried hard at anything like it was like when um, i said that yeah yeah like it was like a moment where i was like I've never actually had to make a decision You know You have to decide whether or not you're going to go to work every day But you generally, your body wakes up and you're like Fuck, I gotta go do this And you start automatically walking towards work This was a situation for the first time in my life Where I felt like this was on my shoulders Like I had to make a moral decision And I could go either way And neither way looked better. And I remember sitting in that car just thinking, I don't want to go get him because that's the path towards more trouble. We're just going to keep our relationship alive and we're just going to head towards inevitable destruction. Somebody's going to die or somebody's going to get put away forever or something if I keep hanging out with them. I leaned the chair back, tried to sleep, and my mind was just spinning. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back to Kyle and Duncan and drive back to school? Or are you going to go to the jail? And honestly, what I remember is that it got so cold in that car that I just thought I had to do something, so I drove to the jail. But it was, like, arbitrary. It wasn't like, I really want to see my friend... I just thought, I got to do something. It's fucking cold. Might as well use this $20 bill. I think think that's kind of what I was thinking. Got it. So, I go pick him up, bring him back to his house. He's in a pretty good mood. I think he feels like a warped sense of love coming from me because someone actually rescued him. And... I seem to remember as a weird gift, he like gave me his favorite hustler magazine. I grabbed the last beer and went back, found Duncan and Kyle who were not even awake yet and I just said, "Probably one of the craziest stories of my life just happened last night, and when I wake up in this back seat, I'll tell you the whole thing." and like, "Cool, let's go back to school."